Our speaker this evening is uh, Pastor Alex Montoya. And uh, the reason uh, we selected him is because not only is he a fantastic preacher, uh, well-respected by all of us, but uh, he has been a mentor for Dr. Richard Vargas since uh, Richard attended church at First Fundamental uh, Bible Church out there where Pastor Montoya was his pastor. Alex Montoya for 20 years was an associate professor of pastoral ministries at the Master Seminary. At the same time, he was senior pastor at First Fundamental Bible Church of Whittier, California for over 47 years. He's also founder of Southern California School of Ministry, training Hispanic pastors. He graduated from Biola University and Talbot Theological Seminary. He's authored the book, Preaching with Passion. He's served two terms on the IFCA International Board of Directors, has directed the planting of 15 churches. Um, every time the church uh, gets over you know, about 1,200 or so, they take 200 people and they branch off and they start a new uh, church that uh, is pastored by a church planter that they train. And so they've done that 15 times. He and his wife, Favi, have two children, adult children and several grandchildren. And uh, uh, Alex Montoya is a dear friend for me, uh, to me. Um, and uh, I always like to remember that the night that I was installed as executive director in Rochester, Minnesota, back in June of 2000, they gathered around me, laid hands on me, the board, uh, the, as that time called the executive committee, and Alex Montoya was the one who led in prayer for me, installed me into this position. So he's been a very dear friend of mine, and I'd like to ask him to come now and to preach. Let's welcome him. Hey, hermano. God bless you. <laughs> well, Brother Liss, Brother Les, thank you so much. This is, a, for me, a great, uh, great event, a great time for us to for me to be here, because I um, appreciate so much the ministry of the IFCA and so much the ministry of Brother Les. Um, where I come from, we have a you know primarily Hispanic community, and uh, every now now and then they'll come and they'll ask me, uh, uh, Pastor Montoya, I, I had a dream last night and I dreamed about such and such and such and such. Uh, what do you think God is trying to tell us as a result of that? I usually say, well, you probably had too much chile verde last night and affected the way you, uh, the way you, but you know, this, this convention, speaking to you folks, uh, is not a, um, not an easy thing to do. I guess you know that this is where the, uh, is all the movers and shakers of the world are right here. And so it kind of caused you to shake up here. And I, I've been having some dreams as well. You know, <laughs> I don't know what these dreams mean, but I, uh, yeah, less I had a dream, uh, couple of nights ago and I woke up in my dream in my dream I was dreaming and and I was we were in heaven and there were a lot of a lot of guys in heaven and there were ladders and we had chalk and we were like writing every sin we committed we were like writing and just going up the ladder and next to me there was a, a, a tall ladder with nobody on it and all of a sudden this guy comes down off the ladder and it's less and I said less are you are you done he said, no, I'm going down for some more chalk. <laughs> what do dreams mean? You know, what's, what's the significance to that dream? <laughs> I thought it was over, then I had another dream. Yeah, you know, 
I went to heaven again, and I was in heaven, and you know, and 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 Peter was showing me in heaven, and he says, "Look at all these clocks here. All these clocks represent people done on the earth, and the way the 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 second hand moves is the number of sins they commit, and so there are different different clocks there, you know." Uh, Dr. Vargas's clock moving in a certain direction. Uh, uh, Dr. MacArthur's hardly moved at all. And then, um, and then, and then I said, "By the way, where um, where is Les's clock?" Oh, he says his moves so fast. I use it as a fan on my desk. <laughs> what do dreams mean? I have no idea. I have no idea. But I um, I, I want to thank. Les and Miriam for a wonderful job they've done leading our movement. Let's thank them together right now. Let's thank them. They've done a marvelous job. We are so blessed. Uh, yeah, I guess I've told you before that when I was in Indianapolis, when Dr. Gregory was uh, completing his term, uh, this man came to see me. Remember that? At a hotel. And he came to ask me to run for the position of national director. And I said, you know, Les, that's just not for me to do. But I think you ought to do it. And I'm glad you went home and you prayed about it. And you and Miriam took the responsibility and you've done a marvelous job. Thank you so much. What a great job you've done. Thank you so much. I've been asked to, uh, to be the first speaker tonight. And... Um, I just want you to know that that we have, I feel honored to be part of this uh, cast of great preachers, Brother Chris Bauer tomorrow night, and then, and then, and then Brother Liss, Les the next night, and then to finish the job will be Dr. Vargas on Thursday night, and I've been asked to start. And so I liken this uh, like a, ever have a Hispanic meal, a Spanish meal, where they have chips and salsa, and then you have the main course? Well, tonight is chips and salsa. So if you're new to the convention or, you, you know, and, 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 and tonight kind of bombs out, it's chips and salsa. You know, the, the main stuff is yet to come, is yet to come. Uh, I want to speak tonight from the book of Philippians, Philippians chapter 2, uh, verses 19 through 30 will be our text tonight. Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 through 30. Let me set the, the passage in its context for a few moments. As you know, our theme is a, the marvelous theme, brothers united strong. Better yet, brethren united strong. That's a great theme. And it's really the theme that is found in the book of Philippians. Philippians is speaking about the fact that we have been called to proclaim the gospel. The preaching of the gospel is the theme of Philippians and the Apostle Paul uh, nine times makes reference to the great task of the preaching of the gospel. The whole purpose of our ministry is the preaching of the gospel, the proclamation of the gospel. He says, for example, in chapter 1, verse 5, that the uh, Philippians were, in, in, he thanks them for their participation in the gospel from the first day until now. In 1.7, he talks about the fact that he uh, has been chosen for the defense and confirmation of the gospel. And they are also partakers of the grace with him. He also mentioned that when he was in prison, it was for the, it turned out for the greater progress of the gospel, 112. 
In 116, he says, I'm, a, I'm appointed for the defense of the gospel. In 127, he says, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. Again, in 127, striving together for the faith of the gospel. And in chapter 2, verse 22, when he speaks of, uh, uh, of Timothy, again, he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel. And the two ladies in chapter 4, he says, they shared in my struggle in the cause of the gospel. And so, uh, again, it's, it's the preaching of the gospel, the message that God has given to us. Our task is the proclaiming of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the priority, priority. And it's important to note that in Philippians, the apostle is saying that for this job to be done effectively, it, it, it demands. It demands something from people. It demands that God's people be united. Be united. There's a sense where we have to be brothers, united, and strong. That's why as he ends chapter, chapter 1, he speaks about the fact that we ought to conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel, chapter 1, verse 27. And by that he says, we need to stand firm in one spirit. Stand firm in one spirit. It says we need to be striving with one mind together for the faith of the gospel. It even goes on to say that we need to suffer together. It's appointed to you not only to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, but also to suffer for him. And so we ought to suffer together for the cause of the gospel. So it's standing firm in one spirit, with one mind striving together, suffering together, and then also serving together selflessly. And in chapter 2 then, he picks up, he says, Therefore, if there's any encouragement in Christ, if there's any consolation of love, if there's any fellowship of the Spirit, any affection and compassion, make my joy complete, by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing <clears throat> from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Don't merely look out on your own personal interests, but also on the interest of others. If the job is to be done, he says, is to be done when you and I, as God's people, are learning to, to serve together selflessly, to serve together selflessly, to have the same mind, the same love, the same spirit, the same purpose. And the Apostle Paul then to emphasize this, this, this selflessness, being united together in this selfless service for Christ. He gives four illustrations. He brings four examples up. He brings, first of all, the Lord Jesus Christ. Have this attitude in yourselves, which is also in Christ Jesus. And there's a great passage showing the great love of Christ and the, and the selfless dedication of the Lord Jesus Christ for us. And then he moves on to the second example, which is himself. Look at verse 17 of chapter 2. He says, even, even if I am being poured out as a drink offering, Upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. For me to lay down my life for you, I do it as a sacrifice to God. And he, so he brings himself as an example. And then he introduces by, by commendation to other individuals, which 
which normally, in the Apostle Paul's way of writing things, normally the commendations come at the end. It comes at the end. When he finishes the discussion, he comes to the end. But he does something strange here and different in, in, in Philippians. He brings the commendations in the middle. Timothy and Epaphroditus. Because they serve his purpose. The purpose is selfless devotion to God. And it's really the idea of kindred spirit, of being united together as one. Brothers, united, strong. Now you say it. This is pathetic. This is pathetic. Yeah. What is it again? Now we're, now we're talking. Now we're talking. And, and, and so for that, that he, he, uses, he uses Timothy and Epaphroditus as examples of this, these, these kindred spirits. Let's read the text together. Look at verse 19 of chapter 2. But I, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly so that I may also be encouraged when I learn of your condition. For I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. For they all seek after their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. But you know, Miss Proven Worth, that he served with me in the furnace of the gospel like a child serving his father. Therefore, I hope to send him in immediately to, as soon as I see how things go with me. And I trust in the Lord that I myself also will be coming, coming shortly. And I thought, it, I thought it necessary to send to you Paphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger and minister to my needs, because he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. And indeed, he was sick to the point of death. But God had mercy on him and not on him only, but also in me, so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I have sent him all the more eagerly, so that when you see him again, you may rejoice, and I may be less concerned about you. Receive him then in the Lord with all joy, and hold men like him in high regard, because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was deficient in your service to me. As I thought about these two men, Timothy and Epaphroditus, I, I thought of kindred spirit, that Paul and Timothy and Epaphroditus are one and the same. Kindred spirits, united, strong brothers together. And I looked at their the description that he gave us here in the text, and what is it? What, what, what comprises a kindred spirit? How can three men be so much alike? Because they shared certain aspects of what, what a kindred spirit looks like. What is it that brings us together and makes us one and makes us feel the same? And so Paul begins to identify, and I want to tonight just identify three of these, three attributes that come together and form this kindred spirit. First of all, a selfless care for other people. A selfless care for other people. Paul announces 
one of the chief traits in Timothy. He says oh, hey, he has a genuine concern for your welfare. This concern, he says, was rare. It was genuine and displayed true, true humility. He says, I have no one else. I have no one else of kindred spirit. It's hard to find, he says. I'm here in jail and prison, and when I look around, there's no one else that has this genuine concern that I have for you. I have no one else that has the same affection that I have for you except for this young man, Timothy. Now, you already saw in chapter 1 that in prison, in verse 15, he says, Some, to be sure, are preaching Christ even from envy and strife, some also from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, rather than from pure motives, thinking to cause me distress in my imprisonment. Now, for the Apostle Paul to say this is such a rare commodity, but you know, the longer, the longer we live and the longer I live in ministry, it is a rare commodity. A rare commodity. There are people involved in ministry who do not have this attitude. They have, they're, they're, they're full of envy. They're full of strife. And they're full of selfish ambition. And that don't have a genuine concern for those that are out there. The word, the word that he uses here, I have no one else of kindred spirit who genuinely, and the word genuine there means something pertaining to one's own nature. Paul is saying, this guy, Timothy, you know, doesn't put it on. You know, we are really good at putting stuff on. And this convention can sometimes demonstrate. We go out of our way to be nice to people. We go out of our way, hi, brother. Oh, man, it's good. We go out of our way to do that. We go out of our way to, in essence, you know, show that we really care. And most of us really do care. But every now and then among us comes the other kind that really doesn't have a genuine care for someone else. You ever, you ever had that experience? I mean, you don't, you're not dressed in a tie, coat and tie. You're, you're dressed like a yo-yo, you know? And, and you introduce yourself. Hi, my name's Alex. Oh, hi, Alex. Uh, and what are you doing? Well, I, I'm the pastor of the church. Oh, how, well, hi, Alex. So good. See, all of a sudden, things change. Now you, now you care. Paul is saying about Timothy, no, this is his nature. This is who he is. Bishop Lightfoot, in his commentary on Philippians, says this. He was reared by the Apostle Paul, and he's displaying the nature of his spiritual father. He inherited the nature of his spiritual father, genuine concern for other people. And all of us can be like that. I can be like that. I can play the part of a hypocrite. I can sometimes not be genuinely concerned for other people. And so the text speaks to us. It speaks to me. That somehow I need to be, I need to be the kind of man that Paul is talking about. If we're going to have kindred spirits, we're going to work together for the great purpose of the preaching of the gospel. There has to be a selfless care for other people. And the apostle Paul says, this is, 
This is the kind of spirit that, that our Lord Jesus Christ had. Have this attitude in yourselves, which is also in Christ Jesus, who although he had all the stuff going for him, laid it all aside for your benefit. Laid it all aside for our benefit and humbled himself and, and became a slave, became a, a slave, a servant for us. That's, that's what he did for us. And, and this is Paul. This is Paul. This is Timothy doing this for you. Uh, uh, a selfless concern for other people. Not concern for selfish ambition. Les and I have had many discussions about ministry and about other guys out there. And we have, we have folks out there with a solo lobo mentality. You know, what's a solo lobo? It's a lone wolf. Are there any lone wolves in here? The lone wolf in the wild is a dead wolf. You know that. Because a wolf needs the pack. Like the pack needs the wolf. And yet we find in our, move, in, our, in, our, in our churches in America this independent attitude. Like I don't need you and you don't need me. Why do I need to be part of a, an association? I don't need you people. I can do it on my own. I have an MA, I have an MDiv, a THM, a THD, a McDLT. I have it all. And I don't need you. And so we have this attitude. And it's becoming more pervasive now in America than ever before. Men in churches, men in ministry with a solo, lobo mentality. I'm not really caring for the needs of other people. Timothy was not that kind of man. He was not that kind of man. I have no one else of kindred spirits, says Paul, that genuinely cares for your welfare, who really, really, you matter to him. We have a category of folks that simply use the ministry as a stepping stone, you know, using one church to go to the next one. You've seen that, going from this place to that place and, and not really concerned for the sheep that are there and caring for them. There's sometimes in, in our ministries a spirit of partiality. The old boys, the old boys club, the old girls club, us four and no more. And that that can't be. That can't be the Christ is talking, Paul is talking about an attitude that Christ had of genuinely loving, a selfless care for those around us. This is Paul's attitude. He described it for us in chapter 2, verse 17. He saw his, his ministry as an act of worship. He says, when I serve you people, when I give my life for you, when I'm ministering to you, for me it's an act of worship. I consider my life to be a sacrifice offered to God. And when I serve you, it's my life being offered to, to, to you, God. As I serve you, it's my, my worship of God. And I rejoice in that. And I want you to rejoice with me as well. Have you ever, ever crossed your mind? You ever said to someone or even to yourself, man, I've given so much to these people and they don't appreciate me. I've done so much for, these, for this community and they don't appreciate me. Brother Vargas was the guy in East L.A. did that. I came to East L.A., a, a, a poverty-stricken community, and I gave so much to you, 
and you didn't appreciate it with an attitude like he was upset. And somebody said to him, well, no one asked you to come in the first place. Whoa. So shut up. Quit your whining. Quit your gr- Rather have an attitude like the Apostle Paul. My service to you is a sacrifice to God. And the, and the more difficult the ministry is, the more precious the sacrifice becomes. Yes or no? That's what Paul is saying. This, this selfless care for other people is what governs a kindred spirit. For you and I to look at our lives. And, you know, Ezekiel spoke about shepherds. Do you recall that text? All of us know that. Chapter 34 of Ezekiel. What he chastised the shepherds because they were, they were selfish and self-centered. And instead of loving the sheep and caring the sheep, they're abusing the sheep and using them for their own personal interest. That cannot be. That cannot be. And Paul would say, listen, Philippians, I have no one else of kindred spirit who genuinely cares for your own welfare. All the rest, it's only about their stuff, about them, not about you. And we need from time to time for God to remind us of that. Because we can become, we can become, we're not careful, it's about us. Yes or no? Am I the only one that thinks this way or is there somebody else here? It's about us. And it's not about us. It's about the people of God. But the people of God, a kindred spirit. I look at the text again. Not only a selfless concern, but also notice loyal service. Loyal service. He says in Philippians 2, as he describes Timothy, but you know of his proven worth, that he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel like a child serving his father. Therefore, I hope to send him immediately as soon as I see how things go with me. We're to have kindred spirit. It also includes just loyal service. Loyal service. Paul began, by, as he always begins, by saying, Paul, a bond servant of Christ. Remember that? A doulos. Remember? A doulos. He spoke of Jesus Christ, who humbled himself and became a servant. Doulos became a slave. The word that he uses for Timothy here is, again, the verb form. He served with me. The verb form of doulos, of slave. Loyal service to the Lord. We talk a lot, a lot about servant leaders, right? That's a, it's a real popular discussion. Servant leaders. The problem with that phrase is we like the last part more than we like the first part. We like the leader part, but not the, what? Talk to me now. Yeah, listen, where I come from in fundamental, I ask a question, people answer. So you talk to me, okay? All right. We like, the, we like the second letter, which is leader, but don't like the first one, which is what? See, we talk about it. We talk about it, but it's a, it, is, it isn't always something. Timothy embodied servanthood. He embodied it. That was it. Jesus said in Mark 10, 45, in Mark 10, 45, Jesus says, I have come. What? Not to be 
serve, but to serve and to give my life a ransom for many. That was his model. That was his purpose. That was his mission. I did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. What kills any movement, what kills a movement, follow me now, what dooms any movement to failure is the question, what is there in it for me? Now, this is IFCA, and I bleed IFCA. A couple of years ago, the eye, the eye popped out, you know. When I ask folks, you want to you want to join the you want to join the association, the response is it what's in it for me? What's in it for me? Shut up. <laughs> and that's a doomsday movement. Yeah. A doomsday movement. Less than five percent of our population in America, less than five percent of the population in America is gay. And they control the national agenda. Because they're not asking what's in it for me. They're asking what's in it for us as gay people. And they do it together. I'm not, do, I'm not saying that to laud them. I'm just saying that what dooms a movement is we ask ourselves, what's in it for me? Instead of what's in it for the great purpose of the movement. The preaching of the gospel. And Paul says of Timothy, this guy... This guy is a loyal servant, a loyal servant. He served with me as a father serves his son. That type of loyalty. Now, you all know the text. It is required of stewards that a man be found, say it, faithful. Required of stewards that a man be found faithful. That is a trait that it goes toward the top. It is not great ability. It's not great knowledge, great charisma. It is faithfulness. It is faithfulness. And Timothy was that type of individual. Listen, preacher, listen, people. You may not be the sharpest and most expensive knife in the kitchen, but if you're clean and on the table, the family will use you. Talk to me now. Yes or no? Yeah. Because it's faithful. You're there. You're there. I sat down to eat next to Pastor Vargas, and I used the stuff that was on the table. Now I carry a switchblade with me, and I, I, you know, I don't do that. But because, and, and, and it's faithfulness. I mean, I taught, like, I taught preaching for, for, for over 22 years. And I would tell the preachers in the class, the only thing worse than a bad preacher is one that doesn't show up. Show up. Be there. I don't want any excuses. There are no reasons for not showing up. The only reason for not showing up is death. You died. I had some wacko say, well, you know, Professor Montoya, well, my, baby, my wife had a, kid, a baby last night. I said, yes, that's her excuse. What's yours? <laughs> Oh, 
Oh, Professor Montoya, I, I didn't do my homework last night. Did you sleep? Yeah. Well, then you're a, you're a sluggard. You're a lazy bum. You should have stayed awake and finished your work. In other words, show up. Loyal service. It's, it's a trait that we sometimes don't implement in our lives. And Paul, you know, as far as Paul's concerned, his trait was loyalty. He ends the epistle. I have finished the what? I have kept. I have fought the good. Loyal to the end. Loyal to the end. Timothy, kindred spirit. Kindred spirit. Just like him. Like father, like. <laughs> like father, like son. He served with me in the furthest of the gospel like a father serving his son. Just ministering to me. Taking care of me. Being there with me. Working together with me. And he adds, he adds this qualifier. Follow me now. Verse 22. But you know of his, what? Say it. Proven worth. You know of his dokimas. One of the commentators says that Paul kind of coined this term. Dokimas. A proven worth. This guy had a track record. He had a track record. All of us develop a track record. What about brother so-and-so? Oh, don't worry about him. He's always late. How about sister so-and-so? Oh, don't worry about her. Nah, she will always call in sick. That's what she is. But see, we all have a track record. So did Timothy. He's always there. You know of his proven record. You know that he was a true disciple. He was there. He learned from his father, and he learned well, he was a true, true apprentice. He had a teachable spirit. He learned from me, and he developed a kindred spirit. A kindred spirit. What I have found, my brothers and sisters, that not very, not very many of us are teachable. I'll repeat that. I have learned over the years that not many of us are teachable. We're not, like, we're not like Timothy. We already know it. We already know it. And I, I trust that this week, as we go to seminars and listen to men instruct us, that we'll adopt the attitude of Timothy. To listen. To learn. Some of us have churches that are about to close and about to die. And we need to learn a few things and go back and do something about that. Some of us have churches that have stagnated. And we need to learn from these men to do something about it. We have the church today on the verge of apostasy. And IFCA stands firm. We need to learn how to go and do something about that. Amen or not? And so it says here, you know, it's proven worth. This man, this man, this is who, he is just there. He's a true, true disciple. True disciple. When they uh, started making recommendations for the IFCA, who could be a successor to the great Pope here? 
I thought of this man. I thought of this man, Richard Vargas, because he's a Timothy. He was teachable. He learned. He served with me along as a church planner. He was my associate when he came to preaching class. I could trust him. Dependable, trustworthy, kindred spirit. And so my recommendation was, and you need to know, it was also my recommendation to follow me at First Fundamental Bible Church. We talked about that. He and I privately talked about that. He would be my choice after I went the way of Les Lofquist. Half in, half out. You know what happened? <laughs> you see, this is what Timothy's like. And we should, we should strive to be this proven disciple, a track record, trusted servant, highly dependable, highly dependable. It is obvious from all the exhortations that God gives to, through Paul to Timothy that Timothy was not, not a charismatic person. He was not. He was not a wow preacher. He was not a wow leader. But his traits were so great that of all the men that Paul could recommend, this is the man. You know of his proven worth. He is a, a loyal, loyal servant. We need that today. Do we not? We need that. So great tonight to see all these men that have been in ministry for a long time. 20, 30, 40, 50 years in ministry. That's commendable. That shows loyalty. That shows commitment. And we need that. We need more of that today. Both committed. To be dependable. And if we're to have kindred spirits, we need to be, come together and have this kind of attitude. We had a celebration of the day for our, our, our staffs, part of our staff. We have two secretaries, Rosemary Carmona, been with us for 40 years. Dolores has been with us for 30 years. Simon Garcia has been over 27 years. Miguel and I had 27 years. All our staff has like been around forever. I've been there for 80 years. You know what I'm saying? I look like 80. In other words... There, committed, dependable. And we need that. We need people committed to that. Listen, we have, we have some young men here at our convention and young preachers, young couples. We're going to pass the mantle on to you. The torch will be passed on to you. But you've got to be faithful. You've got to be like Timothy. You've got to stay the course. You've got to stay the course, be faithful, show up, do what needs to be done, and carry on no matter what happens. This is the trait we need to have. We need to have. And Paul is saying this is kindred spirit. He, he's the kind of man that I can recommend to you because he will be there and he'll be loyal to you. Interesting, 
But he then turns to another servant of his, another fellow worker, called Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus, and he, he brings him into the picture. Again, this is shocking because normally Paul would, would bring commendations toward the end of the epistle. When he gets done with all the heavy stuff, then he calls the people to come up. But instead, because he's driving after this fact that the only way we can ever accomplish the task of God is for you and I to serve selflessly. And for that, I said, I, I recommend to you Epaphroditus. Because Epaphroditus has this trait of sincere affection. Sincere affection. You know, someone said Epaphroditus, the name was so common. It was like John or Bill in, the, uh, in, the, in New Testament times. And so the name is common. <laughs> but the trait is not. It's a, not, it's a common name, but an uncommon devotion. An uncommon devotion. That this man had this kindred spirit. So Paul, notice he calls him my brother. Notice that. He calls him my brother. And my fellow worker. And my fellow soldier. Did you see it? Kindred. Together. He's the kind of man that we are. We, uh, we're together on this thing. And the trait that he brings to the table is a trait of this sincere affection that Epaphroditus displays for the people of God. It is like, whoa, so warm, so loving, so encouraging, and so convicting that I would not have such a sincere affection for the people of God. And so he describes him. Oh, he says, this Epaphroditus, I thought it necessary to send him to you because he was longing for you and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. Indeed, he was sick to the point of death. But God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me, so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. Did you get that? This deep, deep affection that Epaphroditus had for the people. Just hearing, just hearing that, that the people were affected by his absence, that, that bothered him. He says he has a, a longing for you, a desire, a desire for you all. And you, uh, you Bible scholars, the phrase used here for intensity. He wasn't just desiring, he was greatly desiring you. He had a, a passion for you. A passion for you. He loved you. He loved you, had a great desire for you. You know, people, it's kind of sad if we ever get sick and tired of our people. Because it does happen. Talk to me now. They call you on the phone. <laughs> oh, and you don't answer it because you know who it is. Hmm? Uh, John, it's uh, her again, him again. What? No more is having marriage problems again. Uh, they, I've had it with them. That's, that's not Epaphroditus. 
You say, well, Montoya, how do you know? Because it happens to me. See, Les and I have kindred spirits. We're both evil. <laughs> and it can happen to us. We can become sick and tired of those that are sick and tired. Talk to me now. And it may be that you're here this week with that attitude. It's got to change, people. It's got to change. Remember the old Gerber commercial? Little Gerber? Baby food? Babies are our business, our only business. And for those of us involved in ministry, no matter who you are, people are our business, our only business. Right? Without people, we would not have a ministry. Without people, we wouldn't be here. And so it says that Epaphroditus, how he had his great, great concern. He had a longing for them. So much so that Paul says he was distressed. When, when he heard that they were distressed, he got distressed. Figure that one out. <laughs> when he heard that they were bothered about him being sick, he got sick. He got sicker. This, this thing that this, he was so in touch with the people of God, so in love with them, such deep, sincere affection. He just distressed over them. You know, Mr. Bishop Lightfoot describes this word for distressed. It denotes the confused, restless, half-distracted state, which is produced by physical derangement or mental distress as grief, shame, disappointment. When you are in tune with your people, and you find out that they are bothered, that they're, that they're going through problems, that they are being affected. It affects you. It affects you. What happened when Charles Spurgeon, at the, at, at the peak of his ministry popularity, thousands coming to hear him preach, and somebody called, fire, fire, and there was a stampede, and people died. People from his own church died. He was so, so depressed, so despondent, he couldn't preach for six months. Friends, there's an affinity with our people. If the people ain't well, the preacher ain't well. If the people are distressed and sad, the preacher's sad and distressed. We're so in tune with them. Oh, you've heard, right? Your mama ain't happy. Ain't nobody happy. Remember that one? I'm sure your home's like that too. Oh, for the pastor's the opposite. When the people ain't happy, he ain't happy. And Paul is saying here, this Epaphroditus was so overwhelmed by this, this distress. Oh, there was a, an attachment, a love that he had for his people. And you grow. One of the great joys of being in the same church for over 40 years is that you begin to bond with the people of God. You are theirs and they are yours. And there's no like congregation and people. It's just family. It's just family. And when they cry, you cry. And when they laugh, you laugh. 
When they rejoice, you rejoice. When they prosper, you're happy for them. When they're sad, you be overcome with sadness. That's just the way it is. That's a sweetness about it. It's a joy about it. Oh, it's, it's a place to be. And recommendation to stay in the same place for the long haul. And Epaphroditus has this sincere affection, a deep, deep affection. I want you to notice something else. What he, what he says in verse 29, look at verse 29. He says that, that receive him then in the Lord with all joy and hold such men like him in high regard because he came close to death for the cause of Christ, risking his life to complete what was deficient in your service to me. As you know, Philippians is a thank you letter. It's Paul saying thank you for taking care of me as a minister with your offerings, caring for me. Thank you so much for all the gifts you sent to me. And in between the lines is Epaphroditus, where the, where the, where the Macedonians, the Philippians, sent a gift to Paul. They sent it through, through Epaphroditus. And he, he was so anxious to get the gift to Paul that in the midst of his illness, he became ill, that he kept going. The word there that is used is he risked his life. The word that is used actually is he gambled it. He gambled it. He took a gamble. Do I stay here and, and, and keep my health and then wait till I get better and then take the money to Paul? Or do I, should I just go for it? And, you know, gamble it. If I make it, I make it. And if I don't, I'll die trying, but I need to go. I need to go. And that's what he says here. He risked his life. Because when you love someone, that's what you do. It says here that he may have have overexerted himself to the point of becoming ill, to the point of death. You know, just coming back, coming from L.A. here, on the airplane, I wanted to kill some time, so I watched a movie. It was the movie of uh, Alex Holland, who solo, without ropes, climbed El Capitan. Three hours and 50 minutes, Yosemite, that big sheer wall. And I watched him as he climbed. Risked his life just accomplish a life goal. I would never do that. I would never do that. Imagine going to the, the, the marriage supper of the Lamb. Remember that? And you're sitting there at the marriage supper of the Lamb, and there's Justin Martyr and Peter and James and the Apostle Paul. And how did you die? Well, I was crucified. I, I was stoned to death. And how did you die? Scaling El Capitan. Get out of here. Go to the other table down there. But you know, people of God, ministry is a risk. It is a risk. It's like Epaphroditus. It can be burnout. It can be burned out. Some of us are so, so afraid of burning out, we don't do nothing for, for God. We're so afraid of burning out that we don't love the people the way we ought to love them. You're afraid to get attached to them because they're going to break your heart. 
You're afraid to get close to them because they just may cause you to bleed and burn you up. Oh, people of God, better to burn out than to rust out. Amen or not? Better for us to stay the course. Epaphroditus so loved them that he gambled his life to fulfill their devotion to Paul and bring what Paul needed. You know, when I was in seminary, Talbot Seminary, one of, a, one of the rising, rising classmates said, you know, Alex, I'll die for the Lord. I'll die for Jesus. I'll never die for the church. Now, when I was in seminary, I wasn't like the sharpest knife in the drawer. You know what I'm saying? And that went like right over me. Like, what? Well, well, after a while, like years later, I said, the guy's an idiot. Because the only way you can ever die for Christ is by dying for the church. The only way to die for Christ is to die for the Now you say it. That's it. That's the affection what Jesus did. He loved the church. He loved the church and he gave himself for her. And so it is that we love the church and we give ourselves for her. A commenting upon one of the uh, great preachers in the colonial days. He died at the age of 29. And um, on his deathbed he said, God gave me a message. And God gave me a horse. I've killed the horse. What shall I do with the message? Oh, that brother should not feel bad. Oh, no. What he did in killing that horse to get the message across, that little life has inspired the lives of thousands of preachers across the ages. Our own George Gresham Machen, Machen, Dr. Machen, died prematurely because he had a preaching engagement and he had a bad cold. And, and he still, in the dead of winter, got on the train and went to fulfill the preaching engagement. It cost him his life. Machen, the great Greek scholar. But in doing that, he reflects this Great love for Christ and a great love for his church. And willing to risk his life. Listen, we have here among us, we have here among us, many of you, that have given your best years of your life in ministry. You have. When I first started coming to the IFCA as a young pup, I sat in awe. I sat in awe. Wow. Look at all these gray heads around here. Wow. Look at all these men of God. Dr. Gray and all these other men. I just... Because they had given their lives. And I'm talking about you wives as well. Sometimes you're the unseen people. You're not the ones they recognize. But if it wasn't for you, that man sitting next to you would never accomplish anything. 
Because behind every great preacher is a surprise mother-in-law. <laughs> and it's you, you, it's you, my dear lady. It's you that has given your best, given your life. Your hair has turned colors. You're not what you used to be. Life has taken its toll. But it's been your offering to God. It's been your offering to the Lord. It's been your loving the people of God and loving the ministry. You've risked your life. You've given life the best years, given Christ the best years of your life. And praise God for that. Hallelujah for that. It's you. And don't you ever forget that. Don't you ever forget that. And so you see people. As an ISCA, we're brothers, united, strong. But we've got to have a kindred spirit. Yes or no? Kindred spirit. And it begins by us imitating Timothy, Epaphroditus, Paul, and then Christ, our great shepherd. IFCA has a, has a mandate. We have a mandate to accomplish. And it includes all of us here, every one of us, doing this together as brethren, united, and strong for the glory of God. Father, thank you so much for the call to ministry. Not just the, not just the preacher, but the wife and the family. Thank you for bringing us together this week. May we love each other. May you encourage us. May you refresh us. May you teach us. May you make us of kindred spirit. We pray for your glory and your honor. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.